0: Thanks for joining us. Hey, well, one one housekeeping uh, announcement we wanted to make today: we're postponing uh, the revival nights previously scheduled for the month uh, of November. Frankly, as you can tell, we're just out of room in this facility, and it's been a real pain trying to coordinate with other facilities and other rentals. Just with the season we're in, with COVID and all sorts of things, uh, it, it it has made that a little difficult. And so we are postponing. Believe in God for a bigger facility, and uh, you can continue to pray with us uh, in that regard. We'll keep you updated, stay in, stay in with all of our different social medias, and, and we'll make sure that you get those announcements uh, as they uh, happen. Hey, one thing, just let me reiterate: it was already in the announcements, but tomorrow night is our pursuit night. Starts at six p.m., goes to seven thirty. It's really our night for community here at the church. And one of the dangerous things of a growing church is that sometimes people can feel like I'm not really getting connected. And Monday nights, on the first and third Monday of every month, is when we host our community groups around roundtables. We provide food. We even provide childcare. Now, I know some of you have been dropping off your kids and then leaving. <laughs> I know. We're watching you. <laughs> but anyways, it is a great, great time of community food fun fellowship. We do some teaching, break around tables, do some teaching as well, and then pray with folks. And it's a really cool way for you to get connected here Uh, in uh, the house uh, of God. In just a moment, I'm going to hand out uh, some of these uh, reminder cards. These are for our new pursuit service times. As many of you know, uh, you've seen a billboard maybe in town starting December 5th. uh, We are redoing our service times. We're going to four services. We're going to do 830, 945, 11 a.m., and uh, 1215. Now, I know you know, but I'm not handing out these cards to you because you don't know but because there could be a friend, a family member, a neighbor, a co-worker who doesn't yet know. And we want to make sure that everybody who doesn't have a church family knows that they're invited to be a part of this growing church family here. I think last week we had to pull out couches out of the green room, out of the foyer, put them here in the sanctuary, there's no room. Folks sitting here in the altar area, no chairs available. We need to make more room in the wineskin, and in doing so, God will pour out fresh wine in this community. When we bought this building, we had one service. My prayer was, God, please just send enough people so that we're not embarrassed when we have one service. And then we grew to two. In the middle of the pandemic, we grew to three. And on December 5th, we're going to grow to four. Here's the reality, friend. Every one of these cards and every one of these chairs, it represents a person who doesn't yet know Jesus like they should, but they're one invitation away from it. It represents a family that needs to come back together. It represents a marriage that's on the edge of divorce that needs to find healing and hope in the person of Jesus. It represents a kid who's been addicted to drugs and and alcohol who needs to experience freedom and liberty. And so we do this because this counts for eternity. And oftentimes you as an individual in this place as a church stands between people and uncertain death without Christ as their savior. And what we do is we continue to invite and grow and build the house of God because the lamb who was slain is worthy to receive the reward of his suffering. And the reward of his suffering is souls. And so we wanna make more room in this community for people to experience and encounter God. Here's my prayer. My prayer is that we don't have to do four services for long, not because they don't fill up, but because God provides a bigger facility. Here's the reality. Scripture says this, to the increase of his kingdom, and his government, there is no end. So if we're going to be a kingdom church, then we need to get used to outgrowing our facility because to the increase of his kingdom and government, there is no end. We started in the living room with my former youth pastors, Pastors Russ and Kim. We moved from that living room to a barn that one of our board members owned right off of Highway 9. We moved from that barn to a rented facility on Highway 9 that only had nighttime services available for us to use. We moved from that facility to one of the most oldest and historic churches uh, just a few blocks away from here in Snohomish that by the grace of God, he allowed us to buy. And About two years ago, as an act of faith, we purchased this building. And God, by his spirit, every week has continued to bring new families, new folks. And they walk into these doors and they always say the same thing. We didn't know a place like this existed in the Northwest. And friend, it's not to our credit, it's to his. It's not because we're special or unique or have figured out some magic formula. It's because God has a sense of humor. And in fact, God is more interested in revival than we are. On your best day, on your most heartfelt, sincere, authentic day, praying for the things of God, you are barely scratching the surface of how much more his heart aches for outpouring in the Northwest. And so we're simply coming into agreement with what God has already desired to do in this region for too long. The Northwest deserves outpouring, it's been dry for too long. And so that's our prayer God, vindicate us with outpouring, vindicate us with awakening. So I'm going to encourage you to help be a part of the miracle. Don't become content in your Christian life just watching other people have miracles, be a part of a miracle. And sometimes being a part of a miracle looks like a simple invitation. You know what's so crazy here is, is oftentimes we'll have conversations with people, and they'll say, um, they'll say uh, Pastor, I, I never knew my neighbor came to church here. I go to the 9 a.m., he goes to the 12 p.m. And the other day I was out working in my yard, and I saw him, and I invited him to church and found out I'm inviting him to a church that we already both attend. <laughs> we just never see each other because we're always missing each other and crossing. And there will come a day where we have a little bit of a bigger facility. We can fit more folks here in one service, but this is just the reality of where we're at now. But I know that what we do matters. Got an email this week from a gal who said, hey, I just want to send you an email and I just want to, every time I get an email, I always have like PTSD, you know, I'm like, oh man, what is, what did I do now? You know, they don't like the cowboy boots. They don't like the mullet. They don't like the music. They don't like the, okay, you know, just, I'm always bracing myself. They said, Pastor, no, it's genuine. They said, it's authentic. I I just want to say thank you for having this church. This was from last week. They said, last Sunday, I woke up with the intention of taking my own life. But somehow, some way, I ended up at pursuit. And I experienced the presence of God. And I'm still here today because of it. So I just wanted to say thank you. You know, for every testimony we hear like that, there's nine or ten that we don't hear. There's a whole lot of folks who are going to be with us in eternity who are going to say thank you for your faithful witness. Hey, thank you for tithing and supporting so we could build the house. Hey, thank you for serving in kids ministry so a mom or a dad who's exhausted from the week could experience the power of God at an altar. Hey, thanks for serving in youth ministry so a young person could experience Jesus. Hey, thanks for greeting at the front door. It's the first smile I've seen all week. Hey, hey thanks for being a kind voice at a community group table on a Monday night. I finally felt like I was welcomed into the family of God. No, you and I are a part of an active miracle in the Northwest. Never forget it, never forget it. You're part of it. Just by virtue of you being here this morning, you have been indoctrinated into an ongoing miracle from God, and he will vindicate this region without pouring. You guys understand that, right? We are leaning into a move of God in this region. That will be so radical, it will overtake us. (laughs) That's what we're leaning into. We're going to make Jesus famous in the Northwest. Not ourselves, not our brand, not our personalities. We're going to make Jesus famous in the Northwest. And his banner, like a flag, is going to be waved over this region. It's like a lighthouse that, 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 that guides ships, sh- ships safely back into harbor. It's saying, hey, there's safety here. There's home here. There's family here. You can come back home to what you've always known. This is what you were created for. No, come back into harbor. No, come back home. That's why we're declaring over the Northwest, give up your dead. Give up your prodigals. Give up your sick and give up your affirmed and give up your possessed. Why? Because Jesus is worthy. And under his presence and by the authority of his name, lives are being transformed. So we're making room. We're making room, we're making room. And what it requires you to do is to be comfortable with ongoing change because living things grow and growing things change. And as soon as you become uncomfortable with living things changing, living things turn into dead things. And so in order for this church to continue to grow, we have to be okay with God opening up new cities, new territories, new facilities, new buildings, new campuses, because Jesus is worthy. I want to share with you uh, uh, a little this morning on the principle of agreement and what it looks like to come into unity. And and I'm going to start off by sharing with you a little bit in regards to even our staff and the way that God has caused things to grow and shift and change here over the last number of months. Over the last few months in response to growth of this church, we've had the opportunity to hire several new pastors and leaders to, to help us out. We are men and and women, fairly evenly split. We are young and old, with members of our team spanning six decades. There are people with Filipino heritage, Indian, Native American, Pacific Islander. We've got folks with PhDs and folks with GEDs. (laughs) We got boomers, Gen Z, millennials, and just about everything in between. We have several immigrants on the team and even more whose parents are foreign born with heritages spanning most continents. Some were born into this sort of work. For one on our team, all their grandparents were missionaries and their parents were born on the foreign field. For another on our team, a great, great grandfather was at the Azusa Street Revival with an unbroken chain of ministers through the generations from then until now. That person happens to share an office with one who came to faith as an adult, a first-generation Christian. Some have formal education, others with graduate degrees, others are self-taught. Some are more theologically conservative than others. The same is true for politics. You might be surprised to know that not only are there Republicans among us, but we got a couple Democrats too. (laughs) Although our team is very diverse, the strength is not in the diversity of our staff, but instead the unity of our spirit. For when we have unity, God commands a blessing. And any place that God commands a blessing, it attracts a diversity of people. Hear me, friend. Diversity for the sake of diversity is chaos, but unity for the sake of blessing is biblical. Hear me, a pile of bricks doesn't make a wall. A pile of lumber doesn't make a house. A pile of glass doesn't make a window. And a pile of Christians doesn't make a church. Why? Because in order for there to be purpose to the individual parts, there is some assembly required. In fact, the three most dreaded words for every parent to read on an instruction manual on Christmas morning. Some assembly required. Hebrews 12, but you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. You have come to the general assembly. And the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. That word assembly in the Greek means this where people met for a common purpose, especially to celebrate. Hear me, friend, just because you're together doesn't mean that you are assembled. But until you are assembled, the fullness of your purpose cannot be revealed. A church that is gathered but not united doesn't actually have the power to address any of the problems they identify. A church that is gathered but not united doesn't have the authority to heal sickness or cast out demons a church that is gathered but not united doesn't bring glory to God because instead of a choir of worship, what we offer is an out-of-order praise that sounds like confusion. But when an assembled church gathers, it is not the size of the crowd, but the strength of their unity that causes all of hell to shake. For if one puts a thousand to flight, and if two puts 10,000 to flight, what does 2,000 in the Northwest put to flight? I bet when the church gathers on Sunday morning, it gives the enemy a panic attack. I bet when the church gathers on, on Sunday morning, it raises the blood pressure of principalities and powers in this region. I, I, I bet when all of hell hears that there are common people who are coming together in uncommon unity. To worship with an uncommon spirit, a spectacular and sovereign God, it causes kings and queens to shake. And friend, only a united church can heal a a divided nation. This is the power of prayer. This is the principle of agreement. If you and I could just get on the same page with what God already desires to do, then when we pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are not praying for God to do something that he has predisposed himself not to do. We are not trying to argue with God to get him to do something out of his nature or out of his character. No, we are simply saying, God, do what you have so desired Tired to do and I'll get out of the way and, and it will be my decrease but it will be your increase and, 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 and every eye will see you and honor you for what you're doing in this place I think sometimes we think that the greater the miracle the louder the prayer has to be and can I tell you friend it's not, it's not, it's not the volume but it's the agreement See, that's why even in this place, you know, we'll do things like, hey, everybody raise your hands. Or come on, and all God's people said, amen. We're, We're just doing little practical things that might not feel very spiritual to you, but I promise they echo in spiritual places. That's why we all shout together and stand together and sit together. That's why half of you are not standing right now and the other half of you sitting. We are coming into agreement. And it's simple agreement that changes principalities and powers. And friend, for you and I, that's who we are. Watch what scripture says, Matthew 18. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, watch, will be loosed in heaven. Again, I truly tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything, It will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Watch, I rather be assembled with a few than divided with many. Watch, friend, it's not that God won't bless division. He can't. It's a violation of his nature. For the way that we understand God is through the lens of the triune Godhead. Meaning this, there is one God, but he's made manifest in three persons. God didn't create Jesus, and then later on, Jesus created the Holy Spirit. They are co-eternal, and they are co-existent. We worship one God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but they are made manifest in three different persons. Is it a mystery? Yes. Can you wrap your mind around it? Not really. Is it something that scripture communicates? Absolutely. Even in the creation process, it's the voice of the father, but it's the presence of the spirit that hovers over the darkness. It's such a part of our theology that even Moses early on announces to the Hebrew children, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. There has never been a time where God hasn't known agreement and community. So if God needs it, what makes you think you don't? There's never been a time where God the Father and God the Son or God the Holy Spirit have disagreed. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Christ subjects his will to the Father In this prayer, if this cup can pass, let it pass. But if not, your will be done. They weren't disagreeing. What Jesus was modeling was what it looks like to submit your will to his. There is power when we come into agreement because if two or three agree on anything, they can consider it done. Watch how Jesus prays in John 17. I pray that they all will be one. Just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Watch. Do you see how the world believes that the Father sent the Son? It's when the church comes into agreement, number one with him and number two with each other. Agreement is one of the loudest testimonies that the church communicates in the midst of a divided culture. We have never been more divided than we are now. You can't say anything without somebody popping off, wanting to disagree, wanting to cancel you, wanting to have seven different opinions. We have never been more divided than we are today. The loudest testimony to a pagan culture is a Christian church that has come together for the purpose of agreement and unity. Man, it's so crazy. There's just this collection of folks, young and old and rich and poor and black and white and male and female and people from all different cross sections and margins of life. And they all sin differently than each other. But somehow they gather on a Sunday morning for the purpose of unity and agreement. And I don't understand It's one of the loudest testimonies the church will ever have. It's interesting, John 17, almost the entire chapter is focused on this feature word, glory. Jesus says to the Father, I have received the glory you have given me, and I have given it back to you. And now I pray that our disciples would share in the glory that you and I have. Over and over and over again, I think eight different times in John 17, the word glory is mentioned. But Jesus is making this point, and I think a lot of us miss it. The purpose of glory is to bring us into unity. Watch. If all you ever do is get impressed by miracles or impressed by presence or impressed by the glory of God, but you never allow it to transform you into a person who can come into agreement with somebody else for the sake of a common purpose, then all you will ever do is hear the work of the ministry. You will never participate in the work of the ministry. No, the purpose of glory is to turn you from a watcher into a doer. It's not enough for you to attend church and view it as a spectator sport. No, you're invited to be involved. And when you experience the glory of God, it's not just to give you Holy Ghost goosebumps, and I like those. It's to cause you to come into agreement and watch unity with what God is more broadly doing in the region and through a people because there is power, there is promise, and there is actually protection in agreement. See, when I come into agreement with what God is doing here, when I'm fighting something, we're all fighting something. That's why Jesus goes to pursue the one, leaves the 99, goes to bring this one back, because the shepherd knows that the sheep in numbers are safe. But when one ventures off on their own, they don't have the same protection that the flock provides. See, here's the value of church community. You're not fighting alone. The value of church community is when the righteous fall, they get back up. The value of church community is that when you're down, somebody else has a word of encouragement that you're going to build your life on that's going to help you make it through. The value of being in church community is that you are not fighting sickness, disease, oppression, depression. You're not fighting it alone because your battle is mine. My battle is yours. And not only that, your victory is mine and my victory is yours. And so even if you feel like you're in a season of setback and defeat, I can share in the overflowing victory from my life, and it can give you courage, hope, and peace for what's ahead. No, we're in this together. That's why when the Apostle Paul is addressing the New Testament church, I think 59 different times he uses this phrase, our Father, not my Father, not your Father, not his Father, not her Father, but our Father. Our Father. Because when we gather in agreement and we say our Father, we are invoking the presence and the authority of the triune God in our midst. No, we're coming into agreement. Half the time, the biggest battle is just to get on the same page. Because all of hell wages war against the agreement of the church. Isn't that the danger of the church is that we can come together but still not be united? Isn't that the danger of a marriage? You can stay married but still not be united. Watch what the enemy does. The enemy loves to manipulate the foothold of disunity until it becomes a stronghold of oppression in your life. Strongholds don't start overnight. Watch. The chains of oppression are too small to be felt until they're too large to be broken. That's how it works. What the enemy likes to do is to manipulate areas of disunity in your own life and exploit them until they become strongholds that are too strong for you to break. That's why the scripture communicates the way it does about unity. Watch what Paul says, Ephesians 4 and 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. 1 Corinthians 1 and 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree Second Corinthians 13 and 11, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, strive for full restoration, encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace. Acts 4 and 32, all the believers were in one heart and one mind. Galatians 3 and 28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, nor slave nor free, nor male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2 and 2, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Notice the pattern. Unity commands a blessing. Unity commands an anointing. Unity commands an authority. It's not just a good idea. It's actually the key building block of the New Testament church. Let me show you something this morning. Just for a moment. I want you to participate in a group exercise with me. I think it will be helpful for you. I want you to think of your favorite exotic animal. Not dog, not cats, not exotic enough. Your favorite exotic animal on the count of three i want you to shout it out i want you to experience what i'm going to experience what we're going to experience here in this environment on the count of three your favorite exotic animals figure it out your own mind go back to your national geographic days figure it out just something odd something weird here we go one here we go two here we go three awesome Now watch, you know what you said, but you probably don't know what anybody else said. For a moment, just for a moment this morning, could we just pretend, could we agree that our favorite exotic animal is an alligator? Just for a moment, could we just just pretend that we agree? Could we just pretend that we agree? On the count of three, I want you to say alligator, but I don't want you to shout it, I want you to whisper it. I want you to whisper it. Here we go, one. Two, three. That's creepy, but watch. (laughs) Watch. When we have unity, we don't need to rely on volume to convince people of our authority. See, because we're all saying the same thing. Our authority doesn't come from our volume, it comes from our agreement. No, we're on the same page. No, we're all saying the same thing. No, we're declaring the name of Jesus over this region. No, I'm not trying to outcompete the volume of demonic distractions. I'm just declaring the name Jesus. This Jesus is the one who stands up amongst the winds and the waves and just says things like this, peace. He's the one who sees the demoniac in the Gadarenes and he says, come out of him. He's the one who sees Lazarus in the tomb and says, get up. He's the one who uh, uh, works miracles along the side of the road and lays hands on people and sees them recover and And declares things that are true and and in such a way his words carry such weight that that even the religious leaders fall back when he says them. This Jesus operates in an agreement with the Father. Jesus says things like this, I don't say anything unless the Father has first said it. I don't do anything unless the Father has first done it. He says things like, like this, if you have seen me, you have seen him. And how could a God as good as that say things like this? Because he operated in perfect agreement, union, harmony with the Father. The biggest fight that we have is not with the darkness of culture, it's with our propensity towards individualism and disagreement. Because here's what we like we like hearing the name of our own exotic animal coming from our mouth. See, we all know what we said in the first exercise, but we don't know what anybody else said. And sometimes church turns into that a bunch of solo recording artists all trying to say their thing because it validates an insecurity in their own heart. But the power of church is not in the solo performance. But in the choir of the saints, when we come together and we say simple things, but all at the same time, we come into simple agreement. We come into a common unity. We say, hey, you know, I know that you're different. You've got different tastes and a different style. And and you know what? You might even have a different opinion on some things, but I'm not threatened by that because we agree on who Jesus is. We agree on what the Northwest deserves. We agree on what the church should do. We agree on what type of people we're going to be. And we'll all have different styles and different flavors and different ways of expressing that to God. And it is not my goal to turn you into me. And I hope it is not your goal to turn me into you. But together as a community that we would be transformed into his image and into his likeness. It's the power of coming into agreement. A few years ago, I had the privilege of traveling to the nation of Japan for some missions work, and I spent most of my time in different ministry schools and churches, teaching and preaching. And and uh, w- whenever you go overseas for missions work, it's like they they work you from like six in the morning till about midnight every night, uh, and then you just kind of get up and 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 do it all over again. And and we were like teaching and, and preaching at like this marathon conference. It's just about at the last session. I'm out of energy. Looking forward to just going home to rest getting some food, just tired, preaching with a translator, and preached my guts out, prayed for people until I had just about no voice left, and just about to leave the, leave the church, and a young woman probably in her 20s made her way to the altar, and she said, Pastor, before you leave, please, just before you leave, I'm begging you, would you just pray for me, and of course, she's speaking through a translator. I don't speak Japanese, and, 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 and she doesn't speak English, but she's communicating through a translator, Oftentimes when I pray for people, even here at the altar, oftentimes what I do is I'll start off by praying in the Spirit. When I pray in the Spirit, it builds me up in the most holy faith. When I pray in the Spirit, Scripture says I pray the perfect will of the Father. And in doing so, oftentimes I receive revelation, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, and prophecy for people's lives. And praying in the Spirit has been one of the secrets, one of the weapons of my warfare in this season. It's what I do to encourage myself, build myself up in the Lord. So I'm praying for her. I've got a translator there. I've just got about no energy left except to pray in the Spirit. And so I'm just praying in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit. And in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> I hope you got something out of that. I'm exhausted. And I open my eyes, and her eyes are all big, and the translator's eyes are all big. And she starts speaking really fast to the translator. And the translator says, this young woman would like to ask you a question. Her question is this, how did you know the dialect of the language that I grew up in, in the village that I was born in Japan? I thought to myself, I barely know how to speak English, okay? (laughs) Let alone the dialect of anything else. (laughs) But what I noticed in that moment is this, the fire of God's spirit is the most universal language that has ever existed And Pentecost is what causes us to come into common agreement. Watch what happens in Acts 2. The disciples are gathered. They're praying. They're scared to death. Jesus keeps walking through walls. He ascends into heaven, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. The Bible says that while they were all in one accord... See, it's interesting because the disciples were in the upper room for three days before the spirit fell. You know why? I think it took three days for them to come into agreement. I I really do. I think it took three days for them to come into agreement with what God desired to do. Remember, they're coming out of chaos. They've seen Jesus crucified. They're even more freaked out by the fact that he's raised from the dead. The Roman government is out to get them. The Jewish establishment hates them. Can you imagine the amount of arguments and infighting and opinion giving that's happening in that upper room? Can you imagine? You know, we think it's all this like dignified, nice little service and you've got one communicator and everybody's sitting there respectfully. I bet you not. I bet they're fighting and they're cussing and they're yelling and they're scared and they're trying to figure out how to interpret the Old Testament and what does this mean and where do we go next? And we're supposed to start this thing called the church and what does that even look like and where are we going to go? And our families have rejected us and the government has turned against us and we've got nothing left and now Jesus has ascended on a cloud into heaven. What does that even mean? And I think for three days they had dialogue until somebody in that room said, hey, could we all sing just a simple song? Hey, could we all pray just a simple prayer? No, I don't got answers either. No, I'm scared to death too. No, I don't know what tomorrow holds. Yeah, I think this probably will cost us our lives. I think we probably will have to pick up our crosses and follow him. No, I don't know where this is gonna lead. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I don't know how to figure it all out, but I've met the one who does. Can we just sing a simple song? Can we just say a simple prayer? And I think just for a moment they came into simple, common agreement and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit blew in all of a sudden fire fell from heaven and they began to speak in a tongue that nobody knew and the Bible says that the nations gathered below And they each heard the wonderful works of God in their own language. Because when the church comes into unity, God commands a blessing. And where God commands a blessing, He brings diversity. The Spirit of God is still the most universal language that there's ever been. And He's just looking for a people who will agree. I don't have all the answers, but I wanna be a person who just agrees. God, I don't know how it's all gonna look, but I just agree, your way, not mine. Your prerogative, not mine. Your plan, not mine. Your kingdom, not mine. Your fame, not mine. Your way, your will, your work, not mine. Let me end here. Psalms 133, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head it runs down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion for there the Lord commanded a blessing. Friend, for you and I, when we recognize that unity is key to God commanding a blessing in our life and through our life, all of a sudden it helps expose the importance of what coming together in unity looks like. Watch. When God commands a blessing, no demon in hell can stop it. When man confers a blessing, a lot of things can stop it. But when God commands a blessing, nothing in hell can stop it. When God commands light in the book of Genesis, there is no argument. It just happens. When God commands that sky and land be separated, there is no argument. It just happens. And when you come into unity and when you come into agreement, first with God vertically, then with the church horizontally, God commands a blessing on your life. He says, goodness and mercy will follow you. I will crown your year with favor. I will put the oil of joy on your head. I will turn ashes into beauty and mourning into dancing and dark into light. I will do something in your family. I will put a blessing on your generational line. I will supply everything that you are in need of according to my riches and glory. When you come into unity and agreement, God doesn't confer a blessing. He doesn't negotiate a blessing. He doesn't conversate a blessing. He commands a blessing. That's the power of unity and agreement. Now now listen, folks, there's about a thousand different opinions here today. Different people who view things different ways. I'm certainly not gonna get it right all the time. But if we can fight and strive for unity in here, we can win the battle out there. We're getting on the same page because we're going to agree with each other and we're going to agree with God and we're going to see his kingdom come and his will be done. Come on, would you stand with me as we close?